Second Thessalonians, the whole chapter. The sermon this afternoon, which deals with the question why it is necessary for Christians to pray, I will pay attention to verses 11 and 12 of this chapter. So we'll read the whole chapter, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Silphanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our, Lord, of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. As far as the reading from God's word, let's sing now from Psalm 86. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, why pray? Yes, why do you pray? That we pray is not a question. We pray every day, more than once. But why do we do it? Are you able to explain that? to maybe your co-workers when they see that you pray before you take your meal. Why do you do this? And if we know also why, do we then also reflect on our prayer life, on our prayers, to see that our prayers are indeed in line with what the Bible teaches about why we pray. 
can so easily happen that prayer does not have the priority in our lives the way it should, doesn't have the regularity in our lives the way it should, doesn't have the attention in our lives the way it should. And we can have all kinds of reasons. We can be too busy. Or because we are needed somewhere else, our attention is drawn to something else. It can be that too sleepy. And thus we say, well, we'll just skip it tonight or too late in the morning. So we'll skip it this morning. Or it can be that we are too busy watching that game on TV and we want to see the end of the game and the score at the end. And we have no time anymore to have devotions. Or so busy in our family life that we have no time to, to meet one another and to sit down and to talk about it. So many things that can come in and they can lead to the fact that our prayer life is not having the attention it should, it doesn't have the priority it should, doesn't have the regularity it should. So what we need to do is think about it time and again, why we pray. And that's why it is so beautiful that in our catechism, there's a whole section about prayer. So on a regular basis, we are forced to evaluate this and to think about this. Why do we do it? And so also this afternoon, the theme for the sermon is why pray? And what we want to do is, first of all, start with the catechism, and after that we'll go to the passage from Second Thessalonians. So I invite you to take your books of praise and have a look at question and answer 116, which is on page 559. Lord's Day 45, beginning of the section about prayer, and in question and answer 116, we confess the following. Why is prayer necessary for Christians? And the answer is because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness which God requires of us. And moreover, God will give his grace and the Holy Spirit only to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing ask him for these gifts and thank him for them. If you look at this question and this answer, a couple of things that I, I like to draw out for you as you think about this question, why do we pray? And as you want to also uh, reflect on your own prayer life, look at the question. So why is prayer necessary? So the word necessary is a quite a strong term. It's not just advisable. It's not a suggestion. You need it. Necessary. But it says necessary for Christians. And it's nice that the catechism takes that term, the title Christian here. Because within the catechism, that title Christian refers back to Lord's Day 12, Christ, prophet, priest, and king. We also Christians, prophets, priests, and kings. And as prophets, we have to confess his name. As a priest, we have to live holy lives. As a king, I have to fight against sin. Those are things that we do every day uh, to confess his name, to live a holy life, and to fight against our sin. Well, you can only do that when you pray. That's what comes up here. You're, you're calling as a Christian in your daily life. 
your task as a Christian in your daily life. You want to function as a Christian. Of course you do. Everybody wants to do that. Well, then you need to pray. Now, why is that? Two reasons, Sister Catechism. First of all, because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness which God requires of us. Requires. It's demanded. But it is the first or the most important part of the thankfulness. It's interesting. It doesn't say it's the most important part of our justification or of our redemption. We'll come back to that later on this afternoon. It says it's the most important part of the thankfulness. And of course, we are in the catechism in the section that deals with thankfulness. Thankfulness for what? For our redemption through Jesus Christ. So our thankfulness to God. So prayer is the response that is required because God redeems us. Through Jesus Christ, he sets you free. We heard about this morning. And now God says, now I require of you that you respond in prayer. Yes, it is important to show that you love God, that you love what he gives to you by living a life that reflects it. But God says, what I want to do, I want to hear from you. I want to hear your words that you love me that you thank me, that's what I require. Because the relationship between me and you is one of words. I speak to you, and now you speak to me. And you speak words of thankfulness. So not my needs in the first place, not my concerns, although they have a place in prayer, no doubt. But it begins with thanking God for what he gives to us in Jesus Christ. And to say that, not just to think it, to say that, verbalize it. And then it says the second place, moreover, God will give his grace and his spirit only when we constantly and with heartfelt longing, it means we mean it, ask him and thank him. There's a lot in that sentence. But it comes down to this. God says, this is the basic rule of my covenant. You have to ask And then I will give it. That's how it is in relationship. Think of a parent and a child. One of the things that you teach your children is that they have to ask. Not just assume it. They have to ask and they have to ask properly. That doesn't mean that as a father I cannot give more or even when they don't ask. But that's not the point. You want your child to learn you have to ask. And then it will be given to you. Well, says the Lord, that's how I deal with you too. That's my covenant with you. You have to ask, and what is it you have to ask? My grace and my Holy Spirit. And the grace of God, of course, that is in a way summarizes the whole re- restored relationship with God and Jesus Christ. That we live that new life in Jesus Christ. And that's also why it is connected to the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, as we heard this morning, He promised that He would dwell in us and make us living members of Christ, imparting to us what we have in Christ, the daily renewal of our lives, till we shall finally be presented before God without blemish. So I need the grace of God, I need the Spirit of God to live as a Christian. 
And the Lord says, you want to receive the grace of God, you want to receive my spirit, then ask for it. And ask for it constantly. It has to be a constant element in our lives. So again, yes, in our prayers we have things that we need. We'll come to them in prayer too. Our, our daily bread, the forgiveness of our sins, the strength to fight against temptation. But it begins with asking for these. The grace of God and the Spirit of God. Now you can say, well, didn't we hear this morning that already we have that, that is given to us, these gifts? Is not baptism the sign that we indeed share in Christ and all his benefits? Yes. Yes, that is given. That is indeed part of our relationship. But the Lord says, you also have to ask for it. You have to continue to ask for it. And if you don't ask for it, don't expect it. Don't just take it that you're going to get it. And when you have received it, then thank me for it. That's how a relationship works, a personal relationship, a loving relationship where there is communication and communion. And that's what the Lord wants, because with us, he has a relationship unlike any other creature, since we are created in his image. No, don't think that we now are, in a way, limiting God as if he can only do what we ask him to do. He can do even more than we can imagine. And I thank God that he gives me at times more than I ask for or that he gives me things that I sometimes forget to ask for or where I'm imperfect in asking for it. But this is what he puts on us, what he expects of us. You are in Christ. Now, this is how we live together. This is how our communication goes. Ask for my grace. Ask for my spirit. And brothers and sisters, without the grace of God, without the Spirit of God, we cannot function as Christians. You cannot confess His name in your daily life. You cannot fight against sin in your daily life. You cannot live a holy life. So why do we ask? Why do we pray? Because God says, ask and you will receive. That's how the Catechism begins this section about prayer. And from here, I want to go into what we read in the Bible on which this confession is based. Because the Bible is so much about prayer. If you start reading through the Bible with that in mind, okay, what does the Bible tell me about prayer? There's so much in it. For example, you find so many actual prayers in the Bible, not only in the book of Psalms, predominantly prayers, but also in the narrative sections, the prayers of Daniel, of, of Nehemiah, of Hezekiah, kings. You also have prayers in the prophets, very powerful prayers. You have stories that tell us how important prayers are. When Daniel is in the den of the lions, or when Daniel has to find out the meaning of the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, you learn about prayers that are acceptable and not acceptable to God. Now, one way of, of looking at what does the Bible teach about prayer is also to look in the New Testament and then to look in what Paul writes about prayers. And that's what we want to do this afternoon because Paul is quite open about his prayer life. 
Typically, when he begins a letter, he tells us what he's praying, why he's praying this, and indicating what he's praying. And it's not just so that Paul can say, see, this is how you do it, or this is how I do it, but it's also the Spirit teaching us, directing us, so that we learn from it. There's a school of prayer. There is a learning that we has to take place in our lives because it doesn't come naturally. Your children, when they're born, they're not automatically able to pray. They can cry. They can express that they need things. They can demand things. But that they call upon God as a father who provides that is something that we have to learn. And that's what the Spirit wants us to learn. And Paul's letters are also one way of doing it. So what we will do this afternoon is look at those verses in 2 Thessalonians. It's just one aspect of prayer life. Don't take this to mean that this is all of it, but Paul has many letters where he speaks about this, and here is one example. So let's now go to our Bibles and go to 2 Thessalonians 1. I'll read the verses 11 and 12 once again for those are the verses that we want to pay attention to. 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This comes in a section where already earlier on, Paul has spoken about his prayers. In verse 3, he already says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers. And he does it, he says, because your faith is growing abundantly and your love to everyone is increasing. Paul writes this letter quite soon after he has visited the city of Thessalonica on his second missionary journey. And he has, by the grace of God, been able to, to start a church there. He had to flee quite um, unexpectedly. The work wasn't finished yet. And so he has to move on. And then he's so thankful that he hears that in this congregation there is growth. Their faith is growing abundantly. Their trust in God, their willingness to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. And also they, they care for one another. So the, the relationship with God is intensifying, but also the relationship with one another is deepening. He said, we even boast about you. We, we said to the other churches, have you seen what is happening in Thessalonica? It's amazing. I only worked there for almost two weeks, and, and, and look what is happening there. God is really powerfully at work there. Now, they're also facing hardships. And this was one of the reasons why Paul had to leave. Opposition. So he speaks about this persecution even, uh, that they were steadfast and, and faithful, although they were facing and enduring persecutions and afflictions. And he wants to help them in that because he can imagine that when you are a recent believer and then you've made, you meet these hardships and these difficulties, it kind of throws you for a loop. Well, why does God do this? What's happening in my life? What's happening in the church? 
And the Lord and, and Paul says, No, this is indeed proof that you are on the right track. You see the animosity against you, well that shows that you are on the right track. Because those who follow the Jesus the Lord Jesus Christ will indeed meet opposition and hatred. And he says, it will also then lead to the day where, where the enemies will be destroyed and you'll be vindicated. So he helps the congregation to persevere by putting it in the big picture. In the end, he says, and that's what we all are striving for, is a day of the glory of the Lord Jesus. And on that day, all those who now oppose you will have to face the consequences of it. Fire, destruction, but you will enjoy the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that leads into verse 11 and 12, where the opening words say, To this end, we always pray for you. To this end. That means Paul says, My look is that you persevere till the end, that you reach the end goal. And that the opposition, that the difficulties you meet, do not distract you, do not slow you down, but that you indeed reach that goal. To this end, what does you do to this end? I pray. We pray. And then there are two petitions mentioned that we'll pay attention to. It says, we always pray for you, number one, that our God may make you worthy of his calling. And number two, that our God may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. There's two petitions. First one, that God may make you worthy of his calling. And when Paul speaks about calling, then he speaks about the fact that the word of God comes into people's lives with the call to believe, with the demand to believe. If you think of Paul's own life, when he was on the way to Damascus, then he suddenly saw this light and he heard this voice, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And that was the Lord Jesus in his glory. And Paul is changed from a persecutor into an apostle by that word, by that call. So when Paul speaks about calling, he's referring to the word coming into your life, then he's not just speaking about an invitation. Could you please think about this? No, then he's talking about what we call an effective call. It does something. When God speaks, things come. He spoke and it was. And so also by his word, he comes into lives of people and that changes you. Because when you, the fact that you are a believer, that you have faith in Jesus Christ, where does it come from? It's not just God saying, well, think about this and let me know what you think. But it's God, by his word, working in your heart, changing your heart, and making you believe it. And, and so, by faith, you are saved. So when Paul speaks about the calling, then he speaks about their salvation through the word that came into their lives. Now, he says, I pray that God may make you worthy of this calling. 
may make you worthy of his calling. He's not saying here, do your best and see if you can qualify so that God will call you. See that way around. He says, you have been called. That word has come into your life. It has changed you from the inside out. Now you have to live accordingly. Now you have to live according to what he has been doing in your life. What he has been changing has to come out. So you live up to your calling. That is the process of growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Growing in faith, growing in steadfastness, growing in love toward God, toward one another. Now, notice what Paul does. So he's looking for that, that growing in their lives, that more and more they live according to what God has been doing in their lives. And he says, I ask God that he may make you do that. He doesn't say, well, you have to really try, and you have to really try hard. Although he will give a lot of commands in this letter, comes to that later in this letter. But here he says, if you want to live a life worthy of your calling, God has to do it. And for that I ask, because that is what God promised And because he promised to work that in our lives, think of the Holy Spirit, who will dwell in us and make us living in members of Christ, imparting what we have in Christ, the daily renewal. God has to do that. It doesn't exclude us, our involvement, but it ultimately comes from God. So we have to ask for it. That's an important lesson when you, when you reflect on why we pray. We all want to live according to our calling. I'm sure we do. We love God. We want to serve him. But brothers and sisters, the only way you can do that is when you ask him to make you worthy, to help you grow. So if that is the case, now look at your prayers. Listen to your prayers. When we pray, is that indeed also something that comes out? We pray for things. What are the things that we pray for? Are we praying for ourselves, for our health, for our work, for our family, for our loved ones? All wonderful things, important things. That's not saying that we shouldn't do that. But what is first? Do we also ask For God to make us worthy of his calling. And when you think of your loved ones and you pray for your loved ones, your children, your grandchildren, your friends, parents, do you pray, God, make them worthy of your calling? Because that's what we want, that we grow in serving God as his children. That's the first petition. The second petition... It says, I pray that God may make you fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. Now, this relates to the first petition, but it's kind of the sequence to it. 
Because now that you belong to Christ, you have been called, your life changes. As a believer, you have different priorities than an unbeliever. You have different goals in life. You have different purposes in life. It's just because you now belong to Jesus Christ. And you have this, this goal in Christ belonging to his kingdom. You now are ready and willing wholeheartedly to serve the one to whom you belong. Well, if you are wholeheartedly willing and ready to serve, what that means is you have to have a resolve. You have to set goals. You, you have to be able to say, this is what I love to see in my life. This is what I aim for in my life. The goals that are there. They are now determined by Jesus Christ. I want to love him. And I want to show in my daily life that I love him. I want to be able to, to show that I belong to him so that others can see it too. I want to be able to trust him. I want to be able to honor him. That is that good resolve. That is that every work of faith that he talks about. Well, how can you do that? Again, Paul says, I have to pray for that. And I do pray for it. And I want you to pray for it. God may make you fulfill these things by his power. Brothers and sisters, you, I'm sure you have these resolves. That you begin the day and you want to serve God. And you say, I, this, this day I really want to be focused on. Because I, in my daily work, I want to be able to live as one of his. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. You've been called. The word is at work in your life. But now to grow and to be able to fulfill that resolve, that's what prayer you have to ask God by his power to do that. Will he do that? When I ask him, will he? Yeah. Yes, he will. There are things that we pray for that we indeed have to add, not my will, but your will be done. Whether it is for your health, your work, safety, whatever, we can ask and we are allowed to ask, but whether God will do that, God will, in his own wisdom, deal with that. But there are things that we know that God will give. Think of, again, the baptism. The things that he promised, that he would avert all evil or turn it to my benefit. He will do that. It doesn't mean he takes away my pain or my difficulties, but he will do that, that it will turn to my good. When I ask for forgiveness, he will forgive. When by spirit he says, I will help you to, to do this, he will. When we ask. Because we appeal to the promises that he has given. So he will indeed for help me by his power to fulfill my Resolve to serve him, to follow him. So now again, we have to examine ourselves. For are we indeed praying like this? And now we have to again look at the priorities of our lives and our prayers in this light as, as, a, as a student, 
How do you start a day? What is your goal? You want to be able to, to stand firm in your faith when you deal with teachings and ideas that can go contrary to the word of God. You'll be able to explain to those who do not know God who he is. How can you do that? Pray. You ask for that. So husband and wife and your relationship as husband and wife, you want to indeed live together as reflecting the relationship between Christ and this church, beautiful image. How can you do that? When you pray together and you ask this of the Lord. As a teenager, when you, when you have your questions about life and how your life will go and where you will end up and what kind of career you will have, what kind of partner you will have in life, that when you deal with the anxieties that can Come, how can you deal with that? And you want to do that in a way that is God-pleasing. You have to pray. So we have to ask ourselves, are we praying in this way? For ourselves, for our congregation, for our loved ones. Two important lessons. Why do we pray? I need the Spirit of God. I need the grace of God. Otherwise, I cannot be a Christian. And that's why prayer may never become an afterthought. It should always be a priority. And with that in mind, think of your start of the day. How do you start your day? Wake up, eat, go to work. That's it. And then you expect God to bless you so you can function as a Christian, which you want to do. Now you have to start with prayer. It's important to start the day asking the Lord for his grace, for his spirit. And then you have what you need to indeed resolve or fulfill that resolve by his power, relying on his power. Beginning of the day, we say, Lord, I cannot do it myself. You help me, lead me, guide me. The two more things in this text that I would like to point out to you when it comes to prayer number in, in verse 12. We have seen the two petitions, what we pray for. But then verse 12, first of all, you could say the apostle points us to the goal of prayer. It says, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. Goal of prayer is not ours. Not have a comfortable life. Have everything wonderfully done for us. The goal is glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Although it does involve us, as we'll see in a moment. Goal in prayer is that the name of the Lord Jesus be glorified. So that through us and in us, it becomes evident who Christ is, what he has done, how powerful he is, and that there's a new life, there's hope in this world. When we do what we ask for in verse 11, that living a life worthy of his calling, fulfilling the resolve that we have, then he is glorified. Then he, we reflect some of his glory. 
And therefore, the other way comes and says, and you will be glorified in him. Now, just earlier in this passage, Paul has spoken about the glory of Christ, and he related it there to the day of judgment, the end. And on that day, he says, you will be glorified in him. That means we will receive the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We will have what he already has now in his glory. But that end already begins today. And that's why I said to you, we glorify him. And when we do that, then he is glorified in us. Because he enjoys it, he rejoices when he sees in us the reflection of his glory. And that is in how we live and what we do. So that is also then the goal of our prayer. A goal not in the first place of ourselves, but a goal that is his glory. But then when it is his glory, then I also know one day he will be fully glorified in me and I will have a life that no eye has ever seen a blessedness that no mind can even understand at this point. But the goal of our prayers has to be the glory of God. Again, think about that as you pray. As we have the list of things that we pray for and ask for. And it can be very legitimate. But it is for the glory of our Lord. And then one more thing. Last part of verse 12. You can say that's the ground of the prayer. According to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the, the basis on which we ask all this. The foundation on which this prayer stands. It is the grace of God. The only reason why I can say this is because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only reason why I know that God will hear me is the grace of God in Jesus Christ. We, we teach this in a very simple way when we teach our children to end our prayers with, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And whenever you add that to your prayer at the end, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you go to this basis, this foundation. Now, for our purpose of evaluating, it's good to reflect on this. Because we all may say this, I ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, but it can easily become a, a, a formula that indicates the, the closing of a prayer. What really means is, is meant with that? That we ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ or that we base it on the, the grace of God? Why does God hear our prayer? Why does God answer prayer? Grace and only grace. Your prayer, my prayer, earns us nothing. Your prayer, my prayer, can never be the foundation as to why God hears. 
why he answers. Because our prayers are all defective. Are all imperfect. To explain this further, because it may seem strange that our prayers earn us nothing, as if it may seem to indicate prayers are not so important. And we started this afternoon with saying the most important part of our thankfulness. Yes, of our thankfulness. Remember? But to explain that, let's go back a little bit in the catechism. When it comes to faith, are we saved by faith alone? Lord, say 23, how are you righteous before God? By faith in Jesus Christ. And then follows that although I still know I'm sinful, yet God imputes to me the work of Jesus Christ and before him as if I had never sinned. But I'm righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. And you have to add that last part, in Jesus Christ. That's why the next question I answer in the Catechism even wants to make it explicit and say, does faith save you? And the Catechism says, no, 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 no. Faith does not save you. Faith is only an instrument. It is Christ's blood that saves us. Christ's obedience, Christ's holiness, Christ's righteousness. And by God's wisdom, he has decided that the way by which we can embrace that and the way we can hold on to that is by faith. So faith is only just the way by which we hold on to something. But only because there's something to hold on to is that faith powerful. Faith in itself is not powerful. It is faith in Jesus Christ. Now, prayer is part of faith. It's faith speaking. It's the response of faith. So prayer is not a means by which we receive the grace of God. That's the word. That's the sacrament. That's how God comes to us. Prayer is our response to that. It is the response to and based on the grace of God. I say this because... You see and you hear and you notice this this thinking that if I pray more and if I pray better, maybe God will hear me. Or if I involve more people in my prayer and we do it more often together, maybe God will hear. There's nothing wrong with involving others in prayer. But if you think that that will lead to God hearing you, you're wrong. As if that is then more likely to be heard. If you think that way, of course, then what happens if you all pray and nothing happens? So it doesn't go the way we had hoped for. Does it mean that we didn't pray hard enough or long enough or not enough people involved? Prayer is the response. God hears our prayer, not because of the amount of people involved, although that might be wonderful. Not because how often I pray, or how well I pray, how many words I use. God hears our prayers only for the grace of Jesus Christ. 
only for the sake of Jesus Christ. Now, that is comforting. Because if indeed the basis for our prayers was how often we do it, with how many people we do it, they will never be certain. They'll be just like the waves in the water, up and down, up and down. But now I know, God will hear my prayer, because at his right hand sits Jesus Christ, my Savior, in glory, continually interceding for us, for each one of you, that you may fulfill your office as priest, king, and prophet in your daily life. And that is why Father will give you his grace and his Holy Spirit. That's the solid foundation, Jesus Christ. So why pray? Because of Christ. For the sake of Jesus Christ and in the name of Jesus Christ. Come seek my face, says the Lord. So I say, Lord, your face I seek. Amen.